0: to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Let's pray. Father, we are indeed blessed. Because you are good and kind and loving, and you have brought us into your family, we have inherited every spiritual blessing. You, our Father, Jesus, our brother. We are blessed indeed, and blessed to be a blessing, so we... We ask that um, as we sit under this teaching, as you speak and work um, through Jonathan this morning, Lord, that we would be reminded again that we are blessed because you are the beloved, the blessed one. We thank you in Jesus. Amen.
1: Amen and amen. It is such a privilege just to be able to open scripture together and uh, cling as tightly as we can to Christ. And Ephesians is a phenomenal dosage of this grace that we glorify God for. So the big idea that I just want to bring to us this morning is that in Christ, you are an intentional part of the church for your good and God's glory. So you are on purpose, part of his family, his church, For your good and his glory. Uh, Every coming of age movie has this similar scene in it, one that represents what I think is a significant human desire and experience. And even if we haven't gone through this exact same experience that there is always a scene of, you know the sensation of it, the feeling of it. And here's how it usually goes, right? The scene is in the schoolyard, and there is some pickup game, um, some sport that is about to be played. It's going to be dodgeball, or basketball, or football, and there are two captains. And then comes the dreaded picking of teams, right? and it represents this anxious or this anxious adolescence uh, waiting to be picked, right? And depending on the story being told. The main character is either an early pick in the selection of the teams or the last person left after the teams are formed, right? You know that scene well, and maybe you've even lived it yourself. And so much of life is just summed up in that little vignette, and that's why it's in so many of our stories, this inherited longing that we have to be wanted, to be valued, to be chosen. And because of that, we end up running after all sorts of things to match that longing, to find our value, to find belonging in all sorts of things. But true satisfaction is found ultimately only in one place, in one person. Huge spoiler. It's Jesus, right? So the picking that happens In Jesus, unlike our experience on the playground, is not dependent on our skill, our social status, or what we bring to the table. And it's dependent only on him. And in this letter to the church in Ephesus in Asia, we hear of the choosing, and that comes in a refrain of praise. We're at the doxology, right at the beginning of Paul's letter to the church. And the truth of this worshipful word is meant to actually enliven us in worship and in the work that we are called to do as the church, as we live in Christ. So, in Christ, you are an intentional part of the church for your good and for his glory. Now, we're going to take a few weeks to work through what is essentially just one Greek sentence. This big section at the beginning of Ephesians 1. And there is so much here. It is so rich. We could probably do three sermons on the three verses that we're talking about this morning. It really is this whole section all the way to verse 14 and really the whole letter. is like it's defining truths for the church. It's perfect to start the year with, to dive in and to hold on to as we live life in light of who Christ is. And here the Apostle Paul greets the saints that are faithful and then launches into this doxology, this worshipful response to being made saints and being brought into the family of God. And in the opening stanza of this worship, we realize that we are essentially picked for purpose. This is a celebration of God's purpose in us. Everything here that has been announced is in Christ. For those that believe in him, you are being united with him in faith. This whole section is for you. One writer says Paul uses the language of in Christ or in him or in the Lord Jesus or in the beloved roughly some 40 times in Ephesians. And the whole of our salvation can be summed up with the reference to this reality. Union with Christ is not a single specific blessing we receive in our salvation. Rather, it is the best phrase to describe all the blessings of salvation. We have unconditional election in Christ. We have adoption in Christ, redemption and forgiveness in Christ, in the fulfillment of God's plan in Christ, and until the final uniting of all things that will come in Christ. Paul begins this doxology with the verse that we left off on last week. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Our entire blessedness, our victory, our happiness, our hope is all bound up in our being bound to Christ. And how foolish and ultimately disappointed then are those who stoop to drink from any other fountain. And every blessing is ours in Christ because God chose us. It's just the first reality from the text that we want to cling to this morning, that you are, if you are in Christ, chosen. Now, usually when we think of God's selection of us as his children. We think of it as a schoolyard pickup game, right? We have to have the reputation as those that would be capable of living in light of who he is. We have to have ownership of some worthwhile qualities that make us desirable. Or we have to have accomplished some feats of strength in life that prove our worth, that build our fame, that we might be selected. And we think God actually treats us the way that we treat other humans. But we come to the gospel and which it sings a different word over us of selection, of choice, and not on the basis of anything that we have done. And the Father chose you to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. It's like a, a mind blowing. Reality, and we've already talked about who this letter is for those that have faith in Christ, right? They've been made saints by his redemptive work for us. They are those that are full of faith in Jesus that we place all of our trust. We're just a ragtag bunch of people that are trusting in Jesus for salvation and all of life. And if that is us, then this is true of us that the Father, God Himself, chose us to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. And it's not inserted into the text by some eager Calvinist, right? And I tried to check my Calvinism at the door. But this is actually just the reality of our standing before God. And what is at play here is what we call the doctrine of Election. And one scholar says the idea of divine election flows out of the important theme of spiritual union, us being in Christ, for election is in Christ. The doctrine of election is one of the most central and one of the most misunderstood teachings of the Bible. At its most basic level, election refers to God's plan whereby he accomplishes his. Will. And the meaning of election is best understood as God's sovereign initiative in bringing persons to faith in Christ, resulting in a special covenant relationship with Him. And this theme serves as a foundation to the entire opening section of Ephesians, which includes the phrase, God chose us and predestined us and predestined according to the plan. And Paul focuses here on the Christ-centered character of election is vitally important to us. Because God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And this indicates the centrality of the gospel in God's plan for history. That it wasn't, oh, people have messed up. They're not going to be able to be in relationship with me. I better begot my son. I better send my son to the world. No, from the beginning of all things, this is the plan. And you are part of the plan. You have been chosen and he chooses us for redemption to be part of his kingdom, part of the church. And this is not a reality that exists with the intention of making us robots or eliminating free will or responsibility from our lives. But it's actually meant to bolster us when the waters rise to trust that he who formed the church before the world existed will keep his great promises to those that he calls his children. That this is a thing of identity for us. And it's not something that you can lose or that you can misplace because he has you. Like what Kent Hughes says uh, about this reality, and he quotes John Scott. He says, this is the primary truth, as John Scott, this British theologian and pastor, a man known for measured sensibility, says, quote, the doctrine of election is a divine revelation, not a human speculation, It was not dreamed up by Martin Luther or John Calvin or St. Augustine or by the Apostle Paul for that matter. It's not to be set aside as the imagination of some overactive religious minds but rather humbly accepted as revelation, however mysterious it may be, from God. We must never allow our subjective experience of choosing Christ to water down the fact that we would not have chosen him if he had not first chosen us. So the doctrine of election presents us with a God who defies finite analysis. It's a doctrine that lets God be God. And even if you are confident that you chose Jesus, you know when you intellectually came to the point that this made more sense for you. Scripture tells us that God chose you. And that's good news. And Jesus would go on to make it clear himself as he did his ministry among us. And in an exchange about not working for food that perishes, but instead investing our whole lives on things that matter, Jesus calls the crowd in this space to believe in him and knowing that that was actually the work of God, just to believe in the one whom he sent. In John 6, he says... And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. The church, those that believe in Jesus, are that which the Father gives to the Son. And if you belong to the church, if you have believed in Jesus, you are chosen. It's not just like the cute name of a Christian miniseries on TV that Chris Dietrich absolutely loves and can tell you every episode about. Right? You like The the Chosen? Yes. (laughs) She does, I, well, they're in the frontish row. I mean, that's why nobody else sits in the front. Poor Dietrichs. You're my favorites. That's why I pick on you, right? But like, being chosen is significant, it is good. It is to comfort us. And there is something fortifying in this reality for us as the church. Knowing you better than you know yourself, God said, I choose you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. That's so good. God, I don't often, I, mean, I look in the mirror and I'm like, yeah, right? Because that's the narcissist in me. I'm like, wow, God, good job, Right. But, like, there are occasions and we look in the mirror and we just are like, am I enough? Am I, can I accomplish what I'm supposed to accomplish? Like, who would want me? I mean, all these things that goes through our minds, right? And this reality that is proclaimed to the church in Ephesus and to you as we've read it this morning is that no matter what we see when we look in the mirror, God sees that which he chose. That changes everything for us. And this is both a corporate and a personal reality that God chose before time the church and the saints that are built into a spiritual house. Because if you are in Christ, when you are anxious about life, uncertain that you have what it takes when you find yourself wandering toward other people or things for belonging, you can know that even at your worst, God chose you. And he chose you for a purpose, according to the purpose of his will, which is being worked out as the unity of all things in Christ, our ultimate destination. He chose us to do something in and through us. And there's just three things that I want to highlight in this section this morning. It's just first transformation, then adoption and glory. The transformation comes in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. We are chosen to be holy and blameless. Holy, holiness and blamelessness are the results, not the basis of God's election. So this just tells us that those that are in Christ are actually meant for sanctification. You're meant For becoming more like Jesus. And we've already talked about how through the work of Jesus, we have been already made saints. Those that are set apart for him and those who are full of faith in him. And now, though, comes the promise of transformation. You'll be holy and blameless before him. And Paul will say to the Colossian church, in Colossians 1, and he is before all things, this is Jesus, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That's all about Jesus, and now it's about you, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order this is the purpose statement to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven in which I Paul became a minister so we keep faith in him. We rely on him and sanctification is worked out in us. It's promised by Christ for us. In Christ, you are not actually left as you were, trapped, and enslaved to sin, but you are now free and increasingly given victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so much in our day is like would just come just come and just as you are in the, which is it's a truthful statement come to Christ the one who redeems you and makes you holy and blameless the truth is he doesn't leave us in the way in which he comes to us that we are actually meant to not be sinners anymore that we are meant to be holy and blameless transformed by his spirit in us discipleship then keeps that reality of this promise of transformation as god's purpose in us just reminding each other that that's gonna happen Because we're actually meant for more than being lost in our sin and death. We are meant to have the fragrance of Jesus rising from us increasingly. Paul would say to the church in Thessaloniki, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you in is faithful. He will surely do it. Paul had the opportunity to write from his own mind and his own heart in this place. He could have said here, go ahead and be sanctified yourself. Now that you're a Christian, you get to do the work. Since Jesus saved you, you need to buck up. You need to study scripture, right? You need to make sure you agree with everything Jonathan says. And then you're going to be sanctified, right? And he, he doesn't say... God loves you, and surely you can do it. But man, how we have taken our own perspective and aligned them up next to the things of God, and that's how we preach, isn't it? In so many places, it's like you need to try harder and do better. Even in my own life, like I am a gospel junkie, like I'm mainlining gospel. And if you don't get drug references, praise God, right? Even that, like, I do this same thing in my own heart. I'm like, I gotta be sanctified, and we're just a couple weeks into resolutions. I bought a new belt today. My resolutions are going so well. I needed a bigger belt. <laughs> I would not tell you this if my wife was here because I'm embarrassed, but she sees. Don't worry. <laughs> right. And so, like, the hope isn't in us. The hope is in the one who is faithful and will surely do it. And that's the perspective we have to have when we look at the idea of sanctification because he's promised to do it in you. So can you give an effort to it? Absolutely. But it's by his spirit that you're being transformed. Jack Hayford, I'm quoting everybody today. We've got J.I. Packer, Spurgeon's coming and Jack Hayford. Beloved pastor, leader in Four Square Movement. He says the saying goes, God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And it's true. He is not asking us to start a self-help program or struggle toward perfection. He is perfection. If you will allow his life to grow in us, we will truly be sanctified and blameless at his coming. It's leaning into Christ. It's letting his life be fuller in us. It's what you were chosen for, to be like Jesus. So it's a promise. It's part of the purpose of why you were chosen. And being chosen is not just, though, about making you different. You will become different. He says he will do it. But it's also about making you family. It's about adoption. Verse 5, he says, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He did not predestine you as servants. He did not predestine you to be merely acquaintances, but to be sons, heirs with Christ. John Piper, even John Piper is with us this morning. When God chose you, he had a purpose. And so he predestined that purpose to come about. Namely, that you would become a child of God. That you would be part of his family. That you would become an heir of all that God owns. That you would take on the family likeness. We are destined to take on the character of God our Father. The character of holiness and blamelessness. That's our destiny. As his children. We can get stuck thinking of God as just this far-off, aloof figure that is a grumpy figure in the sky that we better be careful around, right? That's just how the world sometimes thinks of God. But sadly, some of us have even had fathers they kind of match that description of Father. So when we hear that word, it gives us some unsettled nature. But when we've had a good Father, and when you experience the love of the Father, there's this stressless freedom to existence, isn't there? There's Peace in being protected by that father, being secure and spurred on to great things as they inspire you. And this is what Jesus actually brings us into, the healthy reality of a father. John 1, many of us have been reading Scripture in a certain order, and we've we started with Genesis 1 and John 1. And this is what the Apostle John says of Jesus. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So God's divine purpose of predestination is that those chosen are adopted into his family through the finished work of Christ, male or female in Christ. You have sonship. You have Everything that belonged to Christ is now yours. All of the inheritance, all of the spaciousness of the reality of an eternal existence with him is yours. To the first readers of this, in the Roman world, sons were adopted to carry on the family name and to maintain property ownership. And the adopted son was no longer responsible to his natural father, but was only responsible to his new adoptive father. And similarly, all believers, male and female, who receive the spirit that brings about adoption, acquire a new status with its accompanying privileges and responsibilities. So we are no longer obligated to our old father, the devil, but we have a new father who cares for us and calls us so that the property stays in his house. So now for the church, Father is God's name to us. J.I. Packer. Man, so many good people. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of God, of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new, And better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Jesus, the one who Hebrews tells us is not ashamed to call us brother or sister, brings us in, gives us family, gives us the belonging that we long for. This is why at Reservoir Church we value fostering and adoption of children so highly because it just reflects the reality of the gospel with such clarity that we are given family, inheritance, security, identity in Christ. And because we've been welcomed in, we can welcome in others into our family. And God's work of predestination was done according to the purpose of his will. It was done in accordance with his purpose, indicated that choosing of his people was something in which God actually delighted to do. And it was done in accordance with his will. God has a definite plan and redemptive purpose for adopting wayward sinners into his family. Praise the Lord for that truth. Yeah. So often we can think of even the cross that like, oh, Jesus died. And and when he's dying, he thinks, oh, this is a very good general covering of sin for anybody in the future who might actually think good thoughts of me and choose to uh, apply this work of atonement to their lives. We we think maybe God's like, oh, well, we should save them because hell's bad. But I don't really like that person. Do you ever have thoughts? Do you? I hope you don't hear that because that's the accuser in all of his hogwash, right? Jesus, on the cross, because you've been chosen before the foundation of the world, knows that he's atoning your sin so that you would be a child of God. And God, the Father, looks upon you with delight that you have been saved by the work of Christ because he has determined that you would be his son and daughter, in Christ. He just doesn't tolerate you. And this is why family is such a hard thing for us, because we have some family members that we tolerate, right? And so my family pulled up this morning, and I said to Bill, I was like, these are the people that annoy me the most, but I love them the most. But God, he just says the second half when he thinks of us in his family. Totally pure, totally spotless, holy, and blameless. He sees us and he rejoices. In transformation and adoption, so much changes for us. Like we just live our whole life in light of those realities and trying to lean into them. And so we study all of scripture together. We see the things where the Lord has called us into different stuff and we just press in and we rest in his finished work for us and the gift of identity that he has given us. Live in his way, we love, we set aside idols of culture, both religious and otherwise. And all of this radically good news is done to spotlight his grace. This is just the third piece of his purpose, glory. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Our experience of every spiritual blessing being chosen, being new, being adopted, all of this is for the praise of the glorious grace of God in Christ. He chooses us, he changes us, he makes us children, all for his fame, all for his renown. And God's ultimate purpose is not merely redemption in and of itself, but the praise of his glorious name through that work of redemption for us. And this is good news for us because redemption is still ours. And we get to join in with the chorus of Created beings and all of the angelic counsel that praise him for his glorious grace and his grace that we experience in Christ. This unmerited favor that brings us in and gives us purpose is what is meant to be before us and create in us this worshipful response to all that we've been given. Spurgeon said to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. God is essentially glorious. When God glorifies his grace, he glorifies his whole character. Grace becomes a platform upon which all the perfections of deity exist, or exhibit themselves. And grace becomes a light which shines on all the rest. And they, albeit bright enough in themselves, seem to be doubly bright when it glows in the brilliance of his grace. His glory is good because he is good to us. And when we have encountered his grace, we can't help but praise in response to it. That makes everything else about the Father beautiful. His love that he extends to us, that we experience in grace. His uh, just omniscience, his brilliance, his thoughts that are higher than us. We can even have just a little bit of understanding of them because of his grace for us. His authority and sovereignty over all things is so beyond our imaginations, yet we can experience a little bit of it in His grace, the redemption that we experience that was according to His sovereign plan. And now the purpose of the church just lives to exalt Him as ambassadors of Christ, wherever He puts us, living for others, to see that transformation that he works in us. To welcome others into the family that we have been brought into. All for the glory of God. So, From this doxology, just the first quarter of it. In Christ, you are an intentional part of the church for your good and his glory. He knows what he's up to. And he's called you to be part of it. The saints rest in His choice. Know that if you have believed in Christ, you are His, secure in Jesus. This is your place of belonging, of identity, of eternity in Jesus. Just believe in Him. Receive the gift of grace that he has given to you. And then lean into his purpose. Pursue holiness in community for his glory and for your good. And know that he has you, that he has promised to finish the work in you. His promise will bring you all the way home. Holy and blameless in him. One writer says, we were made to be sustained by a meaningful, purposeful future. We were made to be strengthened each day by this assurance, this confidence that what is happening in our lives today, no matter how mundane and ordinary, is really a significant step towards something great and good and beautiful tomorrow. As chosen, transformed, adopted children of God in Christ, you are trusting in Jesus Christ. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ this morning, the roots of your life were planted in the eternal counsels of God and the branches of your life are growing into an absolutely sure and glorious future with God. There are no unimportant days in your life. You don't ever have to go to bed at night feeling that your life is going nowhere. You don't ever have to give into the lie that you are not connected to an awesome Purpose, Because you are a child of God by his grace, for his glory, and for your good. And all of this is yours in Christ. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Pray with me. Good and holy God, the, the truth that is declared in Ephesians 1 is often beyond us. Some of us are more comfortable saying, see, there's just some mystery here. But for all of us, by your Spirit, Father, we just ask that you make these truths more real to us, that you have, in fact, chosen us. You've done that for your purpose of transformation in our lives, of confirmation of your adoption of us into your family, all for the working of the glory of your grace. Thank you for the gift of being yours. Help us to live in light of it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.